This is Changeling the Podcast. Welcome to Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with this is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. No tha. What are we talking about tonight, Puka? We are continuing our march through Changeling the Dreaming 2nd Edition, although I suppose this is technically a bit of a detour into a separate line, Mind's Eye Theater, the live-action role-playing set of books from White Wolf. And we'll be talking about The Shining Host, which was the Changeling the Dreaming entry in that line. Joining us is special guest Pete Woodworth, author and eventual developer. So welcome, Pete. Hello. Glad to be here. I am so excited. I, I, <laughs> both of us are excited. Um, I've said this before on the podcast. Changeling LARP is how I got into Changeling in the World of Darkness and LARPing, and which I'll, I'll have effects on my life over the years like, <laughs> like how i met the mother of my children through larping mm-hmm. and like all this other stuff and yeah it was a big big deal for me so i'm, I'm very excited to have it here and I'm, nope no pressure or anything yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome i'm glad to hear it i'm glad to yeah. hear it I think this is one of the instances where, Josh, you and I are kind of on complete opposite ends of the spectrum, as I have never done any White Wolf LARPing of any kind. (laughs) Yep. Interesting (laughs) set of perspectives. But I have deep respect for, I've done a few other kinds of LARP, but it was interesting to read through this book, like purely in the theoretical. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's amazed me how much, I'm not sure I actually ever sat down and read the book cover to cover before. I mean, we'll get into the thoughts at the end and stuff, but I do think, like, I mean, there's little nitpicks or something. I've got sort of locker type things, but I mean, it's been how many? 25 years. Yeah. But, you know, it holds up remarkably well. So. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it started me on a journey that is still going, but it was a very unlikely road at the beginning, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. very unlikely yeah. so speaking of beginnings can you talk a bit about how you got into well which came first changeling or larp maybe that's the better first question uh larp first i was the stereotypical theater kid who gets into larp so i'm the perpetual gm for my group and hmm. as i got into high school my group got larger and it got too large for tabletop games and we were all theater kids anyway so I bought the original box Mind's Eye Theater set, the one that had the fake fangs in it and everything. <laughs> um, and we fell in love with it. So we started playing a lot of LARP. Uh, and I was already into White Wolf at that point. Like I'd played White Wolf Tabletop. Mm. But we, like I said, we had too many people. So I said, let's start doing LARP so that way we can all play. And high school basement vampire LARP is exactly what you think it is, is all I'll say. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We had fun, but oh my gosh, it is everything that you would imagine that sentence conjures up. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Hashtag the 90s. (laughs) I didn't get into LARPing. Actually, I realized it would have been the year that this book came out, like at the tail end, when I first got into it. And it was already like a, these 
stories of the glory days kind of things of morphing <laughs> by that point. Yeah. Mind's Eye Theater had already evolved a bit by the time this came along. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was it was one of the things. LARP was really not a thing back then either, or not much of one. Mm-hmm. Even in the gamer community, LARPers were the weirdos. We were like the anime kids of gaming. <laughs> which which is funny because like when we interviewed Ian Lemke, like he was into LARPing before he got into yeah. that too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he ran a hugely successful like boffer game for years, and mm-hmm. like, I've heard legendary stories about that. Like his game was a is a legend in the boffer community. So dare I ask, and and I'm gonna say this this is for the sake of other listeners who may not have LARPed. What does boffer refer to? Oh, boffer is the uh, the type of LARPing where you see people running around with fo- like foam covered plumbing supplies hitting uh, each other. Yeah. Now um, nowadays they have all these fancy latex. Oh yeah, true. Injection true. molded, but. <laughs> I had kids yeah. when that came before that came out. <laughs> so I yeah, I've I've played in ones that have the foam weapons. There's ones that are like fabric covered foam. There's latex weapons. It's it's gotten ornate, but yeah. But the mm-hmm. basic idea is run around and hit each other with stuff, as Got opposed it. to Mind's Eye Theater, where you're not supposed to hit each other at all. Yeah, I'd I'd argue that LARP has more diverse styles and movements in it than even tabletop role-playing games oh yeah That's, absolutely yeah i'd 100 percent agree on that one for sure the only style that i've that i could claim to have done is nordic larp which oh. i have all kinds of thoughts and feelings about <laughs> yeah oh yeah i i encountered nordic larp uh years and years ago at a dreamation here in new jersey and i played a game called under my skin which was inspired by some nordic larp and mm. i've since played in a whole bunch of the nordic or now there's american freeform which is like the american version of nordic larp and yeah and, i uh, think i think it actually predates it's weird the, the, the larp genealogy gets <laughs> <laughs> yeah well so one of our listener comments from discord is that charlie cantrell told us that we should ask you how you got the job of writing shining host because apparently it's a doozy Oh gosh, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Charlie would know. Um, all right. Uh, so here's what happened: is um, I was a junior in high school, and we had been running Vampire for like a year or so. We also ran like a werewolf game, but Changeling just came out, and I fell in love with it. Like it was, you know, it was such a it was such a big departure for White Wolf. This full color book, and everything's bright. And as Ian will tell you, the bears with balloons thing has never left this (laughs) this game. (laughs) Um, But I I loved it. And I really wanted to run a changeling game as like a going away present for my friends. For like senior year, I wanted to run a changeling LARP. But there was no book. They announced that somebody was writing the book, but it wasn't going to come out in time. So like Mm. the summer before senior year, I wrote a bare bones version of a rule book. Like just, just the rules basically to play all the kits, to do all the arts. Like I spent part of my summer just writing a basic skeleton rule book. And my girlfriend at the time, who's also credited, she's credited in as the uh, character sheet designer in Shining Host. Yeah. Uh, all of the play testers are my friends from high school. That is who play tested this book. Cause we started playing. She's like, this is really good. You should send it to them. I'm like, they already have somebody writing the rule book. And she's like, well, maybe they'll hire you for something else if they see it. And like, she finally got me to do it. She, we ran off a copy at Kinko's. She photocopied some of the pages from the tabletop game and colored penciled them for chapter dividers. 
like some of the, the chapter illustrations, we sent this monster thing to White Wolf and their submission guidelines at the time were like a cover letter in two pages. And I sent 128 single spaced pages. <laughs> um, so like it is the poster child of not what not to do. And what I found out much later, I didn't I didn't realize this at the time, but uh, Rich Dansky was running Minds Eye Theater at the time. And Rich is a good friend. He actually grew up around where I grew up myself. But the guy who was writing Changeling the week before my my submission showed up quit and took everything with him. Apparently, I think he even had like a religious conversion or something and burned his coffee. Like he left with a capital L. Oh, Um, man. And it was like the second Changeling writer to do something like that. But yeah apparently or first of two (laughs) yeah yeah and they were only a couple months out from when they wanted to get this thing in layout and everything and my submission landed on his desk in that in the (laughs) week after he lost his writer and was panicking here is a bare bones skeleton book that is like almost fully formed yeah it needs all the fluff and and all the you know the storytelling chapters and stuff but like here's a rule book that just landed on his desk so he called me up and I was home alone that day and I was still, I was 17 and he called me up and said, would you like to write for us? And uh, I said, of course, you know, I, I freaked out. No one's home though. I want to tell somebody I ran to my girlfriend's house, like two miles away <laughs> and told her. And he's like, but you can't tell anyone other than like your family and maybe your girlfriend. And I eventually had to tell one of my friends because he put the rules up on our website for our game. So he had to take them down and he wanted to know why. So I eventually had to tell him. But the rest of my friends had no idea what was going on. So they did this play test for this game. And when it finally came out, they found out when I brought a box of books to a party, <laughs> and just handed out their, their play tester copies. So, and that's how I got started was Rich said, you know, if you, if that thing had showed up a week earlier, I would have tossed it because I didn't need it. And a week later, I probably would have already hired someone else and had them under contract. So, wow. Uh, issue timing. What's the official term for a bunk that somebody <laughs> else performed to enact your your dawn? That's I, I just think this is like the reverse of the Wraith curse. <laughs> I mean, it's, you're not wrong there, I suppose. But like where the book magically appears instead of gets deleted from the hard drive. So, I mean, it was sheer dumb luck uh, that got me the gig uh, for Shining Host. And yeah, I wasn't even legal when I signed the contract. Uh, they found that out later. <laughs> so I was still 17 when they sent me a contract and I didn't know any better. So I signed it and sent it back. And my dad's always really proud. He always makes me tell this part. He's, they found out later cause it was ne- getting near the end of the year. My deadline was in June for the final draft. And this was back when we still had to like send red lines by post, you know, by mail and they print out, you know, things with red lines and I'd get them and I'd type them up and send them back. And, and I was talking to Rich and I said, you know, can I get an extension for a week or two? I'm graduating in June. And he said, Oh yeah, yeah. You're, you've been ahead of schedule. That shouldn't be a problem. And I said, you know, it's going to be so weird to be leaving high school. <laughs> and there was a pause on the other end of the line. He went high school. <laughs> I said, yeah, what? He thought I was in college. My dad is very proud of that part. Mm-hmm. Um, he told me later he was going to offer me a job when I graduated. 
And then he found out I wasn't in college. So he called my parents. I was like, did you know he was doing this? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know. Was he legal when he signed it? They're like, we're not worried about it. Um, so yeah, that is they my... make you sign something else when you turn eight. Yeah, they sent me an updated contract, but it was a, it was hell keeping that secret though from my friends for like a year. Um, that was so Ooh. hard to do. Um, and all the sample characters in the book, the fiction, all of it are all my friends' characters from the game. Is that pictures of them too, or is that others? No, no. We, oh, we okay. actually a friend of mine did send in artwork. She sent in photographs mm-hmm. of us at the game, and some of the pictures they used are similar to some of hers, but they didn't use her her work. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, <laughs> that's the crazy origin story. Don't do what I did, kids. <laughs> it's not generally going to work. <laughs> You kind of even can't do that anymore, I think. Like, Well, it definitely yeah. wouldn't want to mail it. Well, yeah. Weird. yeah too. I mean, as a developer, I would toss things that didn't fit the guidelines because mm-hmm. if they can't follow those rules, I'm not hopeful about how well they'll do mm-hmm. following edits and things. So, It's just interesting, though, to think about, I mean, when we, when we spoke with Charlie before, Charlie mentioned uh, getting involved with C20 by basically emailing and saying, hey, is C20 going to happen? And it was yeah do you want to write for it like that kind of just you have to take that initiative and cross every digit you can i guess yeah i mean my very very first gaming writing thing was another one like that my first gig was writing for the old west end games star wars rpg wow. um, like the old d6 star wars game and they had a magazine called the star wars adventure journal and they had an author call in it and my dumb little 15 year old self is like i bet i can do that <laughs> So I sent in a thing and I got hired because <laughs> so, nice. I didn't know any better. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, well, Charlie also had the advantage of being beloved in the community for many years. So that, that definitely also helps. But yeah, he was one of the torchbearers for Changeling for a long time. Yeah. So yes, um, shall we dive in to, well, we start with some mimes. Unseely mimes. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> So this is opening fiction here. Uh, One Enchanted Evening, A Cautionary Tale. I think it's a, it's a pretty good little short story. It's about a cop who stumbles into a battle of, at a freehold from a group of unseely mimes. It's all in character descriptions. So yeah. <laughs> unseely mimes trying to take over a presumably <laughs> seely freehold and then getting enchanted and titled by the end. There's some yeah. interesting questions raised here. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, he's a. Uh, that was sort of me kind of doing a favor for a, a friend's character because all of these people are player characters from the, mm-hmm. the playtest game. And of course, Brendan Bomain, if you're familiar, shows up much yes. later as the leader of House Bomain. Um, he was my original NPC that I played for the first Changeling Lark. And uh, back when he was in House Elunid and before we revealed Bomain. So Anthony Marks, the the cop, was one of my friends who wasn't sure he wanted to play Changeling because he thought it was a little weird. He was a white wolf mm-hmm. guy. So he's like, can I play just like a, a human? I'm like, sure. And he wound up being a knight anyway. Like he got knighted for his service to the Freehold. So, uh, well, that answers that question. It didn't happen that, that quickly, but we, we condensed yeah. some things for uh, for this. Yeah, make sure when you're running a LARP here, if an actual cop walks in, do not interrupt them. <laughs> <laughs> I have some horror stories about people interacting yeah. with police at LARPs. So, yeah. <laughs> well, this is maybe a good segue um, into chapter one, because we sure. start probably very importantly with the rules. And <laughs> mm-hmm. I am curious, again, having limited experiences with LARP, how many of these 
like how stringently these are observed. So no touching, no stunts, no no drugs or drinking, etc. Uh... Yeah, for most of the games I've been to, these become somewhat flexible if people know each other better. Um, yeah. But they're they're there so that you can point to it and say no. Like if someone wants to come up and throw their mm-hmm. arm around you or give you a creepy hug, you can be like, no, no touching. Yeah, the no touching. I'm not gonna say it's yet. It's absolute. People know each other, that kind of thing. But it, I'd say it's more stringent than hanging out with people not LARPing for yeah. sure, or at a tabletop game. Definitely more stringent than that. The no drugs or drinking, no being drunk definitely but i've played larps that like you rent a bar yeah and (laughs) there's sort of an expectation there's a bit of drinking for people who do drink and you're buying non-alcoholic drinks if you're not a drinker but Mm. yeah like these were the standard rules that were in the front of every mind's eye theater book yeah you know lightly adjusted for flavor for changeling but um... yeah and and when you get into boffer larps talking about other kinds of larp Mm. that's when like the no drinking is way more strict because yeah at least if it's not, be very careful considering yeah. going back. Yeah. But most of these, yeah, I would say they're generally, they exist a lot of the time for when you're, when you're LARPing with strangers so that mm-hmm. everybody's got a comfortable baseline. And if mm-hmm. I choose yeah. to say, hey, I don't mind if you shake my hand or hug me, a lot of games will say casual contact is okay, like handshakes or th- like something you could do in a professional environment, like shake someone's hand is fine, but... When you're at a convention with a bunch of people you don't know, these, oh, are, yeah. these are usually followed a lot more than a, a friendly home game that's like invitation only. Mm. Mostly the other thing is like one of the things I tell people is a lot of these rules, people are like, well, what, you know, can I like, can I put my arm around my girlfriend and real, you know, and I'm like, most of these rules exist because other people might see it and think that means it's okay for them to do. They don't know that you two yeah. are dating. So like they take their cues from other players. So it's not that I don't. Yeah. Especially you. when two characters are dating like oh i'm fine with dating your character i i'm not okay with yeah. certain things yeah, yeah. Mm. no it makes yeah. sense there was a game that was somewhat notorious in our region it was a great game for a long time but it would also a lot of the games eventually sometimes you wouldn't be able to do any rules resolution because all the sts would be drunk and <laughs> yeah yeah that's when it starts crossing the line for me like if you do a little light social drinking most larps don't care um, as long mm-hmm. as it's in a place where that's safe to do but yeah like we were getting to the point where like we literally could not resolve rules tests because all the sts were were blasted and we're like oh this is again i'm gonna have to <laughs> send a text after this recording and, uh, <laughs> you probably know the game i'm referring to but yeah it was one of the only large changeling games in the area of south jersey so yeah and there's other rules that you'd think are implied and aren't like no exchanging xp for certain favors mm-hmm. uh, that have come up oh, to no. not games i've been in again it's the people talking about all oh, those other games yeah i always like the fact that like you know sometimes people would make fun of these sorts of rules i tried to add a rule that you should use basic hygiene but they shot me down <laughs> um like <laughs> just like like deodorant and breath mints or gum but they're like that's a little rude i'm like yeah but have mm-hmm. you but been important. to a convention game <laughs> <laughs> and this this is a wide variety of places this is used in between like a group of friends in a basement versus we're renting a bar versus this is a university campus and the university does not allow preventing people from playing in the game who go to the university like there's a big yeah and that's actually one of the consistent challenges when i was designing minds eye theater when i was writing and later when i was developing was that 
rules that work for groups of friends aren't necessarily good for 300 strangers in a, okay. in a huge convention game and vice versa. And I always tried to write towards groups of friends, you know, smaller games of friends playing who trust each other because that's the kind of game I like. I like it when I trust people and I'm never, I've never been very paranoid about trying to prevent cheating when I write rules because mm -hmm. people who are going to cheat, I can't stop them. So I'd rather write rules that ha are fun, but might be exploitable sometimes because I can always just tell someone, no, if, if they try and exploit a loophole in my rules, I can just be like, no, thank you. Yeah. Like I, I've always had more trouble with people just being like, oh, I don't care. Yeah. just explicit cheating. Like, did you spend those traits? They're like, I don't know. Yeah. People just not bookkeeping. Yeah. Um, yeah. People showing up without a character sheet and being like, I want to play. Yeah, I mean, we literally, we were playing a game at one point, we were, we were playing, and we had, it wasn't this Changeling game, but it was another game I was running, and we had a troll show up who deliberately tried to disrupt the game, and I just tossed him, he's like, you can't do that, I'm like, yes I can, I'm running the game, get out. He had like tried to kill some other player characters, and I brought them back to life, because I was like, that guy didn't count, we're just going to roll that back, like, don't let him have his fun. When you say um, troll, do you mean troll or troll? <laughs> or I mean both? the more conventional use of the term. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, no, we had we had some players who showed up just to try and screw with our LARP and mm. have fun and kill other people's characters for no reason except they were bored. And I just chuck them. You know, I don't have any patience for players mm -hmm. like that. To be yeah. fair, I've seen that happen around non-LARP tables as well. So. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am curious though because so you do have a section in here as well where you talk about having narrators who are kind of I suppose assistant mm -hmm. storytellers in a way yep. it says uh, the eight of one narrator for every 10 players makes for a good ratio so I'm curious I guess for both of you what is the largest game changeling or otherwise that you've ever played in or narrated or been storyteller for uh, played in 50 something players in a session it was a boffer larp though that was um at, like campground kind of thing i think it was like 50 or 60 players plus like a lot more than six staff actually for that but boffer larp's different how many staff you need they called it staff instead of mm. you know yeah, uh, yeah i think running the largest session i got was like 25 in a changeling larp or something mm. playing in for me boffer larp i was at a 1200 person game once <laughs> i played in it was a game called Dystopia Rising. It's a zombie apocalypse game. Yeah. And they have, or they used to, I'm, I haven't played in, in years now, but they had national events where all the chapters from all over the country would show up. Mm -hmm. And there were about 1,200 people on the campground at one point. And yeah, I, I know in the UK and Europe, you can get like games that regularly have over 5,000 people. Yeah, Drakenfest in Germany draws five, 6,000 people. Um, and mm -hmm. the U.S. one drew almost a thousand. I was I was playing in that last summer. It was the first year, so that was a good turnout. But the largest White Wolf game I ever ran was a three hundred person changeling game at a convention. And, oh, beautiful. Uh, we were part of we were part of a larger game. It was a multi world of darkness game, and I ran the changeling side of it. And we had about three hundred people. It was huge and sprawling. And basically, I was allowed to bring staff. Um, I brought my own narrator team with me and. One of my claims to fame in the White Wolf community was that I ran a 65-person Mind's Eye Theater combat in 10 minutes. And oh, nice. <laughs> I'm very good at running combat. This directly ties into questions I have later. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually have a question for you, Pete. Um, 
I know you, you sort of described it sounds like both of these, but like, is there like a, a roughly even mix or siding one or the other for one-off LARPs versus ongoing chronicles or whatever structure you want to call it? I mean, do you, do you mean like... What... Like in terms of what you've done running or... Uh, most of the games I run are ongoing. Okay. I don't tend to do a lot of one-off LARPs. I do one-off tabletops relatively often, mm-hmm. but like... A lot of my LARP started as we'll do this once or twice and wound up running for yep. a few years. But most of what I do, I do I do chronicle style because I, I like yep. ongoing stories. Although all of my chronicles I build towards a specific end because mm-hmm. everyone's got their own thing, but I like a story to have an ending eventually. And I've seen a lot of World of Darkness games that just kept going for years and years and years. And, you know, I like a lot of the time the people are kind of they're not even really there anymore, except that they're there hanging out mm-hmm. with their friends, which is cool. But like, they don't really care about the game anymore because they've been. You might as well start a new LARP with the same people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like start start a new game with the same people. Like, give those stories a conclusion. You know, move and on. And there's definitely mechanically, I've seen it more happen in Vampire. You do get to a point where it's just there's too much XP on these sheets. Like, there's no. It doesn't the system doesn't work anymore? Yeah, power creep is a tremendous problem, especially in Minds of Theater where you didn't have a whole lot to spend your XP on. Yeah, the, the underwater basket weaving lore. <laughs> Fair, yeah. So the rest of chapter one, we kind of have a distillation of the setting, the history, etc., of Changeling the Dreaming, and I think it's actually if you were a new player to the game in general, it does a decent job of summarizing a lot of it. Mm-hmm. the metaphysics a little bit we have the history we have the kiths and the chimerical world how the society works and one of the things that was really tricky was you can also see me trying to cram in as many source books as i can yes because mm-hmm. i was an overachiever so there's mention of like the Nunahe. there's mention of like i was trying my my darndest to to squeeze in every changeling book i could I was just happy to see the Kilodu in there. Yeah, I love them. My brother played one for a long time. And, Excellent. Uh, yeah, the way that we put the book together, in part, we got a, a follow-up book. We got the player's guide because of all the cut material from this <laughs> book. Mm-hmm. They came back to it years later. <laughs> and we're yeah. like, okay. Which we will be doing an episode on. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm, How's that? Yeah. It, if you look at the list of playtesters for the player's guide, that's all my friends in college. Um, ah, so. <laughs> I have used the Shining Host and the player's guide for when I'm running a tabletop game and there's people around and we're like a session zero. And there's just a lot of there's like some of them just have no experience with changeling or even the world of darkness. And I'm like, here, you can read this while the other people are doing stuff. Yeah, with the tabletop ex- book. exactly. I mean, because it is really it's thorough, but. It keeps moving quickly, and I like that. Mm-hmm. You can also tell what music I was listening to yes. at, at 17 uh, with the obligatory White Wolf music quotes. Uh, oh, yeah, because like, there's a Mighty Mighty Boss Tones one yep. in one of these chapters. <laughs> and like I think that was the year I saw them live at an HMV in Toronto. So, like... <laughs> yeah, that was, the, that was the same year I saw them for the first time on tour. Yep. So. And like they cut like nine more music quotes because I was so like, you know, because all the White Wolf books were coded in music quotes back then. I also note with interest, I didn't realize this at first, but this actually came out before the Mage Mind's Eye Theater book, Laws of the Ascension. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everyone had been saying Mage Mind's Eye Theater was literally impossible before it came out. Mm. Jess Jess Heinig found was brilliant in the way he figured out how to do it. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a whole other set of stories because yeah, yeah that was a... considered like the unlarpable game. 
by yeah. so many people mm-hmm. for so long. Which is surprising because, like, Changeling arguably is at least well, a, should have on paper is, been. A... Like, in my experience, like, because I, you know, I became line developer for Minds of Theater and then they switched over to the New World of Darkness and I was line developer for Minds of Theater for a while there for Requiem and, and the, the Minds of Theater book. And Changeling was always the second most popular LARP after Vampire once it came yes. out. <laughs> okay, thank you. I I, I yeah. kept saying that, and everyone's like, I don't believe you. And I'm yes. like, I, it has to be true. Just based on when I see, like, you'd occasionally see a werewolf LARP, you'd hear rumors of an oblivion, but... <laughs> but it makes sense in a way, when you think about how, within the setting of the game, how mortals would perceive changelings doing changeling things. These mm-hmm. days, at least, I feel like it's penetrated the public consciousness enough that you could be like, oh, there are those LARPers again. Yep. And Changeling also, be, like, Changeling has so many metaphors for gaming itself mm. and, like, and the experience of being a gamer. And you can do Changeling in public by just being, like, we're in our mortal seemings, you know? And, like, mm-hmm. we would do the play in public thing where we go to the mall or go, you know, on a trip somewhere. And people would have, they would have fun coming up with little details to, like, you know, for their kith to, like, you know, the red cap, of course, would have a red cap on. And, like, no. but other people would do, like, little things. Like, the slow eye would darken under their eyes a little bit. Hmm. So, you know, we're weird if you look close, but you can play it in public. And unlike, like, Vampire, where if you're doing full makeup, you will stand out. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, cha- changing also, yeah, the whole mortal self, chimerical self, imagination, it, it lends itself beautifully to LARPing. And... You know, we were famous for going to the PA Ren Fair and in character every year. Um, and we'd always find at least one other changeling player who would recognize our tabards and our house colors and things. Um, I am devastated that I never saw that there because I used to go every year as well. But Aww. Damn it. <laughs> so yes, chapter one is... We actually, in our um, initial second edition materials and Book of Lost Dreams episode, we talked about the intro, like quick start, simplified rules and everything for second edition. I would go so far as to say that the write-up in here does a better job because it's less invested in preparing people to play Changeling the Dreaming, and it's more invested in getting people into the headspace of playing a changeling which are two different things i appreciate so. that's what i was going for so that right on that's, that's good to know yeah interesting thing reading this book and especially when you consider what hadn't hadn't come out beforehand it's more i'd say more than any of the tabletop changelings it's got a little bit more bend towards crossover play with like player mm. characterlings yeah and i think that i don't know if that's more or less true than in tabletop but I, it's m- definitely a lot of LARPs I played in. Somebody's playing. If there's enough people, somebody's playing something not from that game. Exactly. Yeah. Mo- that part of that was yeah was our experience was like like I said we had one person who played a human. One of my friends wanted to play a vampire, and mm-hmm. you know, and we had one person who wanted to play a mage, and so like we tried to figure out how to simulate him. That was that was its own project, but like. And I, so many of the World of Darkness LARPs are crossover games. Mm-hmm. They really just are, like because people yep. love mixing them. Even though tabletop, it happens far less. But mm-hmm. um, so I—that was my experience from running vampires. We had people who wanted to play werewolves in our vampire game and and other stuff like that, or a ghost. For some reason, person. somebody always wants to play a Korax in any LARP. I don't, 
I don't understand it. There's what is wrong with that? <laughs> I mean, I'll brook no anti Wearcrow sentiment in this podcast. They, they fit in in almost every game. Yep. <laughs> so they work in Wraith. They work in Vampire. They they work, they work in Changeling. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah, they're my favorite splat I've never played. So. See, you can also tell if you read carefully that I have a soft spot for wear coyotes. So I, I did notice, yes, the Nuisha make an appearance. It's like, yeah, yeah, all right. yeah, they're close to my heart. So excellent. So then we get into a very a chunky chapter. Uh, yeah. So you mean most of the book? Uh, yeah, two. yeah, <laughs> nearly half the book, which is chapter two, character creation. As someone who is frankly a noob to this entire system. Can one or both of you briefly describe the traits and challenges system, I guess, and how yeah. that Well, I just want to start off. It, it, it leads you into a false sense of security if you're tabletop. It does. You, read, <laughs> you read through the, the summary, and it's almost identical to the yeah. tabletop system. You're like, I know all this. <laughs> yeah, And then you start looking at the birth rates and frailties, and you think, wait, something's, something's off here. And then... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I got in so much trouble for merits and flaws for this game. Oh, I got no. in so much trouble. Uh, for we it. got a comment from somebody saying how much they loved merits and flaws compared. They hadn't read this before. They only knew tabletop, and they're like, "Oh, this is really good." So, yeah. <laughs> well, most of the changeling players loved it, but Rich had such a need to turn it around quickly. He did a great job. He's a fantastic editor, but he didn't know changeling as well. And he didn't realize that I slipped in a lot of new merits and flaws that did not exist in tabletop. Um, uh, I just have to say, I love the legacies. Like I'm realizing why in like these online arguments or something where people are like talking about Sealy versus Unsealy, I'm like, have such a different view. I love the take on them in this, where you have these Sealy legacies and some of them are not great people and Unsealy legacies where some of them actually are pretty decent, could be decent people, right? Yeah. It's, it's a much more balanced and a slightly different take on what the court can mean i just love it you can see a lot of the seeds of what we would wind up doing in in changeling 20th but that's that's mm -hmm. way down the line um mm -hmm. but so the trait system um yes so the idea with mind's eye theater which was slowly changing even when this was written is that you had physical mental social just like tabletop of world of darkness games but instead of just having point like numerical values you had to pick adjectives for each category and you were only supposed to be able to initiate a rules contest if you had an adjective that was relevant hmm. so this was something a lot of groups very quickly overlooked and they would just say physical mm -hmm. challenge or mental challenge or whatever and you would literally just compare the number that you had in that category your total but in theory, what you were supposed to do is be like, I am clever enough to slip by you without you noticing. And you'd be like, I'm observant enough to catch you. Huh. And then we would do rock, paper, scissors. And if we tied, then we would compare who had more, you know, if, um, if that would be a mental challenge. So if you had six mental traits and I had eight, I would win on a tie. And then there's the, the negative trait, which even more got. Oh, People yeah. would take it for the points, but the they almost never got invoked. Oh man! Um, yeah, I like it. I think breaking it down into just numerical things not just loses flavor, but I think it loses some complexity that's useful if you treat this as a some sometimes competitive game. Yeah, but the problem is just remembering which traits you spent. Like it's really hard because when you lose when you lose the challenge, you temporarily lose that trait. 
So if you if I beat you, you say I'm observant and I say I'm clever and I win the test, you lose observant from your sheet for the rest of the session or until you spend willpower, you can refresh a category mm. and get all your traits back. And the idea was to try and encourage that you couldn't necessarily do everything. Yeah. By picking adjectives, if you don't have adjectives that make you a good fighter, you could still be very physical, but you wouldn't necessarily have a lot of traits that would apply to punching someone in the mouth. Because reading through it, it definitely, it read to me like, and I didn't do like a comparison or anything, but it, it seems more like you're taking specialties instead of dots in attributes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I have played in games that did stick to it. Yes. And I think it worked well. Yeah. If people could remember what they spent. And that was the. Yeah. That was the part is um, I have always been a fan of minimal prop LARPing, Mm. like minimal bookkeeping, like, you know, LARP systems that require you to carry around a lot of stuff, especially don't generally work too well in my Mm -hmm. experience in the long term. There are exceptions. I mean, obviously, you know, my experience is not universal, but. Um, the part that was the problem with Minds Eye Theater is if unless you stopped to cross something off with like a pen or a pencil, it was very easy to forget what you had spent and honest make an honest mistake, not even counting the people mm-hmm. who conveniently forget that they lost two traits in a yeah. challenge. Not to mention spending willpower, spending glamour, yeah. gaining banality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's and we used little slips of colored paper for glamour and banality and willpower. Like a lot of games. At one point, we bought um you can like go to a dollar store and get like those rows of like tickets that they sell and get different colors of those for each. Yeah. And it was, it was really cheap and effective way of doing it. Yeah. All right. I keep wondering if something with smartphones could be used today. But... Oh, that I, you got a couple hours. Cause I have ideas about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe we could find a way to talk later. If that's <laughs> but surely that would take some of the, well, maybe not take some of the fun out of it, but it would certainly change the timbre of the game if people were like it, checking their it definitely phones. Would. To... Yeah, that's the other problem too. Yeah, you'd be getting oh, I just got a message. And, yeah, oh, I just got. A... Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. people have people have done AR and augmented LARP games and stuff before. I've seen some really cool ones and and or mm-hmm. used phone systems and things. But like, part of the the original appeal of Mind's Eye Theater was that you shouldn't have to carry around anything other than your character sheet, which you could fold up and fit yeah. in a bra or a pocket. like And your hand. Or, or your hand, yeah. like That was why they were originally in quarters, so you could fold them into quarters mm-hmm. and, and still be useful. And like eventually, Mind's Eye Theater got further and further away from that. Mm. And I mean, there's good and bad to that. I mean, original Mind's Eye Theater was very simple to the point where sometimes it could feel very arbitrary. Mm. Um, because you had a one in three chance of winning anything, you know, like I have a one in three chance of punching out Bruce Lee, you know, in theory, if I just do rock, paper, scissors. Ah, but Um, then there's the overbid. Well, yeah, I did read this. I probably the ability retest (laughs) and the willpower retest. And (laughs) yeah, one thing I'm not sure if you noticed Puka was the background. Did those stand out to you? Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, even before getting to that though, I, I wanted to say, for, for clarification for anyone who hasn't read the book, uh, so in addition to attributes being replaced by this list of traits, which are more like specialties, but you do still choose 753 along physical, mental, social. Yep. So then abilities, you choose, I guess you can choose five or choose a certain ability more than once. And yes. Mm-hmm. It's a somewhat streamlined version, but I was very glad to see Scrounge in there as one of the options, which I think was like a player's guide <laughs> secondary yeah. ability. Oh, that gets used so much in LARP. Yeah. yeah. It's not even funny. Yeah. It's like overpowered. I love it. 
in, in addressing a thing that comes up in say our sister podcast uh, mage the podcast but when you have these overlapping sub abilities i just realized reading through this it's not a problem in this system because no. it's not how many dots you have like rolling it's right how many can you spend and it's like oh if it happens to overlap you just choose which of them you're spending for the retest yeah. so i can probably use i can use repair in place of crafts for certain challenges if i'm fixing something i could plausibly yeah. use either skill um, mm -hmm. but and it's just if, an advantage to have both then yeah not... because i can't build something necessarily with repair but it would let me save my craft skills for when i'm making something and then use repair when i'm fixing you know like yeah mm -hmm. so the, the overlap was intentional in the skills so yeah we the the streamlining of minds i theater the the design was that you know it was supposed to be as math light and rules light as possible uh, and and to keep people to keep the game moving was the ultimate goal mm -hmm. um of of minds eye theater to keep it moving as fast as possible and it doesn't always succeed at that to be perfectly mm -hmm. honest but that that's the goal that we'd shoot for yeah. well i mean it I would be curious enough at this point to give it a try because it seems to me like it does fulfill that goal just from this book at least. Yeah. I mean, if you're comparing it to what we talked about Boffer LARPs before, those are <laughs> optimized for, unless there's like a safety concern or something, play is one-to-one. -one. Like It's real time. If a fight takes a minute in-game, it's a minute out of game. Kind of. I've seen that Hawkeye episode. Um. <laughs> yes, I knew uh, some of those people. Uh, uh, those were some New York LARPers I knew yeah. in there. Um, like in Minds Eye Theater, especially, like I said, it, it moved away from it. It got closer to tabletop as time went on because a lot mm -hmm. more people wanted it. They wanted to be able to take their tabletop characters and LARP with them, or vice versa. But they mm. don't really one to one translate yeah. at all. Okay. I actually played a table, a basically tabletop game using the Mind's Eye Theater rules at one yeah. point. I mean, you, you can, like, you absolutely can, but, like, attributes, for example, are so much cheaper in Mind's Eye Theater than they are mm -hmm. on tabletop. And tabletop, you start with far more abilities than in Mind's Eye Theater. And, you know, like, there's, there's fundamental, they look the same, but there's fundamental differences in how they work and how the economy yeah. is. So, yeah, I, um, I do like, though, not having to pick between the different types of abilities. It's like abilities are more for, these are the types of challenges you have access to rather than yeah. this is how good you are at thing X. But it, the retest is important. Mm. Well, yeah, it, it was what you wanted to be good at in terms of like, you don't need computers to operate a computer. You need computers to be really good with a mm. computer. And we tried to point that out. Like, you don't, because people would be like, do I need to take a level of drive because I have a car? It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> drive means you're good at it. Like, this is something that you enjoy and that you're better than average at it. And we tried to get that home, but sometimes people would kind of miss that. And they'd be like, well, I should have computers because my character knows how to use a computer. And it's like, no, 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 no. Focus, focus. <laughs> Especially today, that would just be just, well, I mean, we're still in like dial-up modem territory in '97, so like, yeah. but yeah, it's like I remember Mage First Edition. You know, when wireless, when Wi-Fi was a rote, um, <laughs> <laughs> it was a magic spell to have Wi-Fi. With backgrounds, I, I was thinking. I don't know what Josh you're particularly pointing to, uh, but the ones that I was really thinking about, Companion must just be the most fun. Like to just bring a stuffed animal or something and have it be your chimerical companion <laughs> um, yeah. we have had so many great companion 
like portrayals in in the games that I've been in, yeah. it's it's almost always worth its weight in gold. Excellent. Um, yeah. So. Sometimes it's fun when there's somebody who's like dipping their toes in, and in a vampire LARP, they might be like, "Oh, I'll play somebody's ghoul." Playing someone's chimerical companion is really <laughs> yes. fun. Too. Yes. We had we had an uh, in the first in the game that this was based on my high school game, my girlfriend's younger sister who was like eleven at the time came initially as a chimera because she just wanted to see what her big mm-hmm. sister was doing and we're like and then later she played a childing but like she literally played a chimerical companion for one of the players yep. for like two sessions and had a ball like she had so much fun. One of the background things that I really liked actually though was the influence charts because. It seemed to me like a very sort of elegant way to collapse things like allies, contacts, mm-hmm. ties. I feel like throughout the World of Darkness games across editions, there have been attempts to make these sets of merits and flaws, different kinds of background dots. And the way it's done here where you can take the background, I guess you you could take it multiple times, right? Yes. Okay. And then yeah, You it's... could take Street Influence 2 and then High Society Influence 1. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think it's a very, um, it's an interesting way to kind of handle all of that in one go. One of the things that was, because that's a carryover from like Vampire had the same influence mm-hmm. charts and things like that. And we had to doctor them for Changeling. But like, um, one of the interesting things about it was always like, I would ask people how to explain their influence. And a lot of them got some great backstory and character detail trying to figure out like, yeah. just justifying like, why do you have high society influence? Like, <laughs> You know, or, and because they'd be, they'd be like, I took High Society three. I'm like, that's cool. How? Not being combative, but like, your character is a red cap in a biker gang. Are you like <laughs> the black sheep of a rich family? Because that's cool. If that's the case, awesome. Yeah. You know, like, and so people would really get into how they thought about it, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and this this also ties into something that comes up a lot, especially in ongoing LARPs, where, I mean, again, it depends on the LARP, how many people, that kind of thing. But it, it's a lot more tolerant and accepting of some player character versus player character stuff happening yeah and a lot of this influence stuff is is downtime system essentially between games is where it usually plays out yeah for the most part which is again not really a thing that happens as much in tabletop so an influence uh, influence was as important as this as the game staff let it be also because influence Mm -hmm. in some Mm -hmm. games that i played was basically a mini game that was played inside the game. Yeah, yeah, And in yeah. other games, it was yeah. almost entirely ignored. Vampire, at one point after this book came out, had a supplement that just had like all this extended influence rules that took it really far. Yes. That, yeah. See, that's the kind of thing I adore. So I would be totally into that. Yeah, it just started to get a bit much. And it was one of those things where like, if you had to have pretty much everyone in the game commit to it or not. Because if only some people did, they either wound up feeling it was useless or they became super OP because of mm-hmm. their influence. So it was kind of a thing where pretty much everyone had to kind of get on board with it um, or it wasn't really. Yeah, I, me and like other games have been, like, there was a lot of tweaking to try to be like, okay, how can we have this be a thing, but also be a thing that you have to do things in session to make them yeah. meaningful. And that was always a tricky thing. Yeah. So then we get some information about negative traits and how one can take those. And so I had to kind of get my head around the fact that this is not the same as merits and flaws. But once I figured that out, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's cool. Like, of course you can be, I don't know, combative. And then that would give you a bonus other trait. 
Mm-hmm. So that's, I like that. As yeah. The negative traits, as we said, were almost, even though a lot of kiths got a negative trait by default, mm-hmm. m- many people didn't call them. They would forget that they had them. Like, yeah. Every, every issue is impatient, but I was almost never called on any of the issue I knew, for example. Yeah. Like in LARP, maybe the percentages is, might be higher, might be the same. It's like in terms of a tabletop game, you know, some players just don't really remember the rules of the book and yet. Yeah reminding but when you're playing in a larp there's less people reminding you because everyone's just right yeah and they're not all staying together right so (laughs) there's a lot of people who just probably didn't know naked like there's a lot of times they're like oh i do like somebody would call it a negative trait and then someone else would be like what yeah (laughs) yeah that was the most common response when someone called a negative trait was the other person would go what does that mean (laughs) What, what what does that do and like it's one of the reasons like i said i don't generally try to i like i I try to close any really awful loopholes if I find them, but like at the end of the day, LARP is a trust exercise because there isn't a GM around all the time. You have to trust the players are going to play in the spirit of the game and be, you know, kind to each other and, and so forth. Like, cause you won't, a lot of things occur outside of the attention of, of staff. So you yeah. just kind of have to roll with it. Yeah. You'd have to do a lot more than that 10 to 1 to... (laughs) And then what's the point, right? It's like... So then the merits and flaws, which I I do appreciate how there are ones that kind of mimic the birthrights and frailties of some of the kiths. That was always something which I found interesting in games like Vampire, where there would be, Bruja can't take this flaw, Ventru can't take this flaw, and it was mimicking their weaknesses, but then Changeling didn't really seem to have that quite as strongly. Well, mm-hmm. and one of the things that, that influenced me about that was I, I thought like so many changelings are, are fairy tales and legends and myths and things and fairy tale lines get blurry a mm-hmm. lot of the time. So if you have a she, but you want to play like a banshee and you want to do something like horrific, like being able to devour someone alive, you take the red cap <laughs> thing where you can eat anything. And like, you're a yeah. she from this particular kind of legend, like, the kith merits and flaws that let you simulate other birthrights were designed to show that stories some stories are a little different mm-hmm. so like that's what i had in mind but then a lot of the tabletop players got annoyed when they found out those weren't in tabletop <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. they're like wait that's amazing and that's when i got in trouble but <laughs> wow. for doing that and like the one one of the other weird ones like the bad moon flaw where you turn on Celie and moonlight mm-hmm. was literally just a house rule for our game because our game was set in new Orleans and I just decided that was a thing that happened in new Orleans and no one knew why. And then we put it in as like a, a flaw and I've known so many people who took it years later. And it just always makes me smile. Cause it was just like a little setting quirk for our own personal game that we put into the rules and now people take it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I personally really liked the face songs one. I thought that was wonderful. Oh, I love face songs. Yeah. So, and the, um, immortal passion which makes a lot more sense to me than just true love it's like well what about the other true passions i want true wrath Mm -hmm. yeah that was one of the ones that one of my players came up with in like the playtest that we were playing is like everyone basically was like this guy is the embodiment of fury because he was just this constant he was he was a gwydian knight and he was the embodiment of like righteous fury and so we eventually made the merit for him to Mm -hmm. have that quality so that was kind of dedicated to him there nice. um, 
so you you kind of alluded to this before, but at the or near the end of the chapter, we have the experience chart. And I'm curious how that usually shakes out compared with a tabletop game, because obviously the costs are rather different and the economy of experience expenditure. Wow, that's a difficult phrase to say. The economy of experience <laughs> expenditure is quite different. Yeah. The tricky part with the XP chart was that power creep is is a thing in LARP because of how long a lot of LARPs are. Mm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times what people would do is immediately buy up their traits because it's cheap and they would max out the, their maximum number of traits per category because it made it more likely that you would win on a tie. Mm-hmm. And it was easy to do. And it was the number one move for a lot of players out of the gate was to max at least one of their trait categories. If they were social character, mm-hmm. max your social traits mm-hmm. and so forth. Like they didn't want me to have banality on the chart. And I was like, no, trust me, some people will do it. Mm-hmm. Like, go for mm-hmm. it. <laughs> like it's like shadow dice and Wraith. Go for it. What, what could possibly go wrong? Uh-oh. Minds Eye Theater was generally supposed to, to be low XP, long-term development, but people often, if especially if they hadn't run Minds Eye Theater before, would award more XP than they should. Mm. Uh, which is why in later books, we actually gave more advice on how much XP should be given. And yeah. there's a big difference. Like if you're the in college, just out of college, people running a weekly game. Yeah. You're going to run into that problem way faster than the people with a big job doing a, a more involved life doing once a month because that's plenty thank you yeah <laughs> that's fortunately changeling did benefit from the fact that you have a lot of different things you can buy mm. which did help spread mm. the economy out a little more in terms of you had to buy realms and arts and you know traits and and you're actually paying xp on backgrounds yes the sanctity of backgrounds idea was something that wouldn't come along for a long time so like you know, I had had people, you know, I've been in games where people killed my five point ally and I'm like, well, that was fun. <laughs> I spent a bunch of XP on that, but he's dead now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Ooh. brief functional question, because I, I do see that buying off negative traits is one of the options for experience. When you're doing a challenge and you have a tie, how do negative traits work into the equation do they subtract they that probably would have been a great idea but it's not how it worked now they think about that would be a very good idea but um you called them to make your opponent bid extra Ah, so instead of losing one trait if i called a negative trait on you and you had let's say you had gullible uh you had one gullible trait and i called aren't you a bit gullible for that you now had to put up a second trait and if you lost the challenge you lost the two traits you bid instead of just one okay it, it did get confusing when the negative traits were in a different... And this is not from just... like This was the, the era of Mind Eye Theater Head It, where it's like, uh, violent is a mental trait. And it's yeah. like, oh, yeah. like you'd want to use that in a social... And it's like, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and, and we would allow people to call them when they were appropriate across category, yeah. but that was a house rule. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an official. So, yeah. It's definitely the kind of thing where I feel like, as, as with many games, I'm sure, um, I would probably grasp it a lot more intuitively just watching an hour of people doing this. Yeah. Because yeah. the whole, the calling and the bidding is... is... You, you might get a group of people who hadn't, weren't really experienced with Mind's Eye Theater, and they're just sort of fumbling around with their challenges, and then, like, yeah. they'd see, like, two other people who, like, had a lot of experience, and then they're like, oh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just know how to roll dice. 
The idea with the adjectives was also to try and make it as least disruptive as possible mm -hmm. by saying things like, you know, I'm clever enough to get past you. I'm too observant for that to work. We still sound at least vaguely like we're in character. Yep. Even if technically we're declaring actions as opposed to just being like physical challenge. I'm using stealth to get past you. You know, like that was the goal was to try and work it into role play or at least minimally disrupt the role playing atmosphere. I've seen it work well. I've seen it not work. And there was always the people trying to use their their negative traits for. The, it's like I'm repugnant enough that you'll leave me alone. Yeah, we, I had people who were like, "Can I call a negative trait as a defense?" <laughs> I'd be like, "Uh, I mean, you're admitting you have it, so I guess if you want to, you know, like, yeah." To that end, I understand negative traits in particular being kind of a closed set because, yeah, if you call them out, you want to be. You want to know what the options are, mm -hmm. but is yeah. it more accepted to make your own for the the positive traits? Is that allowed? Not not generally because they want we wanted to be able to have a resource where everyone had a that was going off the same list. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I do know, and also sometimes people would try and cheese that a little bit and try and come up with a trait that's almost always appropriate, like resourceful. Mm -hmm. um, or, well, actually, resources on there. But, uh, <laughs> I did see occasional house rules where they'd be like, uh, we like the trait system from this other game, other Minds A Theater game of this other edition. Yeah. Bring in these traits or something. But Yeah, I, I did see, there were times where people would ask if they could come up with a trait. Because positive traits, it didn't matter as much, as long as it wasn't something that was overly useful for anything. Yeah. I didn't mind mm -hmm. it. And, but like, yeah, the negative traits have to be set list because otherwise you'll never guess them. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, the penalty is if you guessed a negative trait and they didn't have it, then you had to put up another trait. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it could get, you know, pretty. Uh, I did see Kith negative traits get called out more. Than yes, the... because everybody knew that Boggins were gullible, for example, or Redcaps. I mean, that you've like two uh, negative traits by default. Yeah, there was a uh, common theme of she using it against Slua. Uh, yep <laughs> just uh, like in the tabletop game yeah. yeah and there was a lot of criticism over the use of like having permanent negative traits that kids can't buy off and i'm like look fairy tale characters usually have flaws like they're yeah. exploitable like there's always you you can trick rumpelstiltskin if you know the trick so that's kind of what we were going for there I guess I'm curious, just in connection to that comment about the economy, because it is comparatively cheap to buy new new traits. I mean, certainly compared with raising attribute dots, it's cheap. And it makes sense mm -hmm. because those are the currency by which you're interacting and challenging and whatever. But I, I can imagine, to your point about people maxing out categories, like at some point you just have every trait on this list, <laughs> or most of them. Or you could double up and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Because like you might want to have agile times three because mm. you want to use agility a lot. That's so, true. Yeah. I don't know if this book had it, but I know some. I remember from some Monday Theory book you could double up your negative, but like you really don't want people to guess it for some. Like I think you are you so gullible, so, so repugnant. It's yes. like you, if you have gullible times three, you have to like pony up three traits of somebody. Yeah. Oh. If someone yeah. called gullible, you you had to pony up three extra traits. So like multiple copies of a negative trait were dangerous. Yeah. Um, if someone learned that you had it, like, and again, with the kiths, a lot of people would know that you off, most of the kiths had one. So, mm -hmm. but like, I knew someone who had 14 physical traits and all of them were dexterous. And I'm like, <laughs> what, why do you have this? <laughs> like, uh, 
Okay. Well, it, like, would always, it would always be interesting if, like, there's a fight, like, some, like, let's suppose there was a, there was a physical, a game where some physical stuff had happened, right? And somebody had been in a lot of traps, and they ran out of, like, applicable physical traits. Yeah. <laughs> like, they still have some, but they're just like, this makes no sense here. I can't do it. I had someone who was like, I stalwartly punch you in the face. I'm like, that's not a thing. You can't do that. <laughs> like, yeah. that's that's not a thing. Which is why, I mean, each trait has a description of when it's generally useful so that people wouldn't argue there, too there much. There would be some, uh, somebody trying to twist <laughs> things, but... Yeah, because the dexterous guy was like, it's always applicable. Because I'd be like, I try and hit you. He's like, I dexterously take the shot. I'm like, what? Like, uh, all right, I dexterously climb the wall. Yeah. So we should get started on chapter three, Changeling Magic. I want to ask, when you were putting this together, because something we've noticed going through these books is that the timelines of things, the timelines of when things were written, when things were published... All of that's kind of up in the air. Um, how much of an influence was the first edition system on this, and how much was the second edition? A lot of it was was first edition because bunks got a lot more fluid. And second edition, I'm trying to remember was when was second edition released? Ninety seven. <laughs> Shortly before yeah, this. So yeah. it had just come out, and I think a lot of it was written before I'd had a chance to incorporate it. Mm-hmm. And also, as you can see, like I said before, I was trying to cram in everything I could from every supplement mm-hmm. book. So yeah, like yeah, Pyretics yeah. is in here and other things, you know, like some of the ones from Player's Guide or other like source books. You know, I shoved in the Clerican and the Selkies and but the bunk system, it wasn't like the card based system exactly, although some players actually played it that way where they'd put their bunks on little like index cards yeah. and have someone pick them. That was basically um, what I was thinking. Like, it would be very easy to just kind of use cantrip yeah. cards in order to do this. And yeah. and some some games I knew did that, and that worked. The bunking system that my friend Steve came up with, which is in the, the Shining Host Player's Guide, though, was way better. Um, <laughs> way more fun. Um, Suspense. Yeah. All, all, the, all the games I ran or played in of Changeling, we always just had it more like in second edition or vaguely more like c20 weirdly but um, yeah. <laughs> despite it being well before c20 but well, like, i remember just, like sometimes people would do like these super elaborate like scene setting planned out weeks in advance bunks for like soothsay or something and it would just be yeah. like well and like my my friend steve who ran the game winner's edge which was a long-running changeling game i think it's still running actually if i, if I recall every once in a while uh, it was a very long-running changeling larp his system was so much I'm, I'm i'm jumping ahead to the player's guide here i guess but like it was much more larp friendly because he had very simple rules like you got one bunk point one bunk trait if you acted out your bunk within the rules of safety um you had you got one bunk trait if you used a prop of some kind or had some other sort of physical uh, interaction you got one point if it took longer than a minute another point if it took longer than five minutes and another point if it took more than an hour and there were a couple other things. So it was very easy to tally up your points. And you added a lot to the role-playing atmosphere while you did it. It was an incredibly elegant way of doing bunks in live action. And mm. so that's why I asked him. He's credited in the front of the Changeling Player's Guide as the creator of the system for like the alternate bunk system um, in the Player's Guide. Because I was like, this is so much better than writing mm. them down in advance. And like, 
I mean, that has a certain charm to it, but like it also can get repetitive. So, and it relies on the storyteller to personally give everyone's bunks a rating. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, I don't think I'd read through this properly before. And I'm like, I, you get 30 people playing in the game, like organizing that and people want to do new bunks every (laughs) session. And yeah, that was the, that was the problem is like, it seems okay until you actually try to put rubber to road. And that's one of the things when Shining Hosts came out, I was on the Mind's Eye for the old White Wolf forums all the time. And I was the self-appointed guardian of Changeling LARP on the white wolf mind's eye form <laughs> for a long time i was so protective of changeling larp because i mean it was my first book that i ever like my first real serious role-playing job and i love changeling i still love it with all my heart and like and it got dumped on by so many other people in the mind's eye community because they were like it's mm-hmm. silly it's stupid i'm like changeling is the most tragic game out there other than wraith you know, yeah because and, or it can be like that, the thing is like changeling is so flexible. We can, you can have a changeling game that's in completely over the top silly. And then the next game can be game of Thrones cutthroat politics. And then the next game can be a wild party and all of it fits in changeling. None of the other white wolf games really have that kind of tonal flexibility. Exactly. Not, not by design anyway, I'll put it that way. Um, and it's also kind of like the accusation of it being silly. The, response i want to give is so also that we're, playing, yeah. like, we're walking around <laughs> saying these weird adjectives and then playing rock paper scissors exactly. with people while yeah. dressed up in costume there's nothing not silly about this, this right yeah. whether you're dressed as a vampire or not like yeah my, yeah my friend andy always used to say elves in the woods throwing fireballs you know like it's all st- it's all silly just get over it like yeah. right we would poach players from other genres. Like if we were playing a mixed world of darkness LARP, we often had people leave the vampire werewolf part and come <laughs> join us. Cause we were having the most fun as yeah. changelings. So like we were visibly enjoying ourselves a lot of the time. So to the point about fireballs, just yeah. briefly looking through the arts, uh, it does seem like for the most part, there are a few levels that seem to have been removed, I guess, for various reasons, but otherwise everything pretty much tracks with what's in the tabletop there's one of them that's got six i think but yes there's one that was, that, has... that was because all the other the vampire mind eye theater and stuff had done that primal too, right? primal has six because it has yeah. elder form and um and holly, oh, holly strike. strike and heather balm separated back out yeah yes mm-hmm. and then there were a couple that only had one at each level like pyretics which mm-hmm. people got weird about that too which i understand but I was like, these are lesser arts. And also some of them, I was like, some of these are just not easily simulated in live action, even in you know a game with a lot of imagination and so forth. Like, So that's why some, some arts got changed a bit because I'm like, this doesn't work well in LARP. The example I like to give is like, there's a power when I was writing Requiem for, for, um, for se- like second edition Mind's Eye Theater for the New World of Darkness. There's a power in Obfuscate where you appear as who the target thinks they want to see. Oh, uh, yeah. And I'm like, that is impossible in LARP. Like, that's great at a tabletop. That is impossible at a LARP. And, yeah, yeah. And so I changed it to you become a generic person who fits in where where you are. Like, you blend into the background kind of thing. And people got really mad because, like, it's not the tabletop. I'm like, but the tabletop power does not work here. You have to yeah. go with what LARP is good at. Like... It's almost oh. like trying to make a video game and going, oh, let's have the exact same mechanics between video game and a tabletop game. You can't yeah. do that. Yeah. And 
it's one of the things I see happen at a lot of buffer games is a lot of buffer games still have things like this spell has a 30 foot range. Do you really want to try and measure 30 feet in the middle of an ongoing <laughs> live battle? Cause I don't. <laughs> so, um, this spell has a range of how far you can throw a beanbag packet full of burn yeah. seed. So, or either that, or you have to constantly call time out so that someone can get out their measuring tape and uh-huh. that just ruins everything, you know, like, yeah. But they're so obsessed with like it, it's like D and D, yeah. But D and D, you play at a table, man. Like we're in the, we're running around in real time. That's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Oh. I did appreciate how much that does come through here, though. Like I think it was, it might have been like Elder Form or something. There were certain arts where there was a lot of attention given to how can you adequately run this in a LARP, which is yeah. something you don't have to really think about at a table. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, trying to include things like you need hand gestures for this or a description mm-hmm. card or, you know, things of that nature, like trying to help people figure out how to play it, like how to depict it, because Changeling Magic is weird. And mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of the other thing that was funny thing is like a lot of the vampire players, especially sometimes the werewolves do, but would be like changelings are silly and stupid and also completely overpowered. I'm like, well, <laughs> um, yeah. And this was the era we had second edition tabletop and this coming out and like crossover second edition. (laughs) Oh, somebody's got a high banality. You're rolling difficulty 13. Good luck. Yeah. But this is like, no, you're actually kind of, it's more like C20 power levels. Yeah. Because my thought was always whoever's game it primarily is should be the coolest. Yeah, if you're a vampire in a changeling game, congrats! You're not going to be the coolest person in the room. Yeah, you get to add your banality. Good luck. That's your yeah. <laughs> like, and if you do that, it'll work, and then we will all hate you and avoid yeah. you. But you know, if you're in a vampire game and you're playing a werewolf, you're going to not be as cool as the vampires. You're not supposed to mm-hmm. be. But yeah, right. and if you're playing the game to be cool, then that's probably not <laughs> the best reason to be playing it. That that was the other thing, like changeling magic trying to figure out how to do the realms in in that chapter like we had to change distances for scene because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. magic that infects an entire room in tabletop is eh but in a lot of larps most of the game takes place in one room you know if you're in somebody's house and you're playing in their living room most mm-hmm. of the players are in one room so suddenly scene affects the entire game and if it's not yeah. it's probably in one building or that area and then you're like yeah so so like people are like, whoa, scene got a lot less powerful. I'm like, no, it got as powerful as it needs to be for LARP. Yeah. Because, yeah, like yeah. you need to adjust these things for live action reality. Yeah. And having the things, the art notes as well, kind of helps with that. So like Wayfair, for example, it's like if if you're teleporting, you need to do a timeout and like go to where you're yeah. going because <laughs> unless you've developed some teleportation capability in the real world that the rest of us don't have. <laughs> I'm trying to remember how it worked by the book for actually casting an art on a willing person, including yourself. Um, usually you just had to do the bunk and spend any necessary yeah. glamour if they were willing. Okay, that's, that's right. Yeah, it's been a yeah. while. Yeah, but yeah, that's why me and a lot of other people were like, I'm going to try to stick to art on myself or because <laughs> it's just so much easier. <laughs> Well, yeah, and because like the realms were also, you know, people always really hated the fact that like you needed actor four to do people that you knew kind of thing, mm-hmm. like or to do strangers, sorry, other mm-hmm. way around. And I was like, changelings aren't necessarily supposed to be offensive machines, you know, mm-hmm. like 
all of that is geared towards this white room balance thing of like yeah. all the games must be perfectly balanced to each other and like that has never been true and will never be yeah. true i mean and then you just use pyretics to make your fists on fire and then punch the vampire <laughs> yeah you call upon the weird and you make it real and then you punch the surprised vampire to death one of the first villains was a ravnos because chemistry used to create chimerical objects yeah so Ravnos could just mess with changelings all day long. So he was our like arc mm-hmm. villain for one of our first arcs and and one of my changeling larps was a Ra- elder Ravnos who would just ruin their world. For actor 4, I mean, that's why you never give the fae your name. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> I never thought of that. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's part of why you don't do that. Like the same thing with time, you know, scene and time both had to be adjusted for larp and mm-hmm. like because LARP is usually played in something close to real yeah. time. so Time's um, the one I don't think it ever... It's, there's three editions that use it, and including this, and I still... It's always weird. Yeah, it's like everybody... D20, it's so broken and powerful. And then <laughs> the other two, it's not powerful enough. And yeah. I think every game I've ever been in where someone had time, it has been in one way or another house-ruled. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. In some fashion, yeah. so well, yeah. But I love the fact that like changeling players, beca- and again, in the spirit of the game, are mixing arts and realms became an art in itself. Mm-hmm. You come up with clever applications of things. I-, I love that about it. But that was what a lot of the other games complained about: is that like, well, if they have this realm, they can just affect me. Yeah. So, I mean, you're a vampire. Your dominate affects anyone you can make eye contact with. Shut up. Um, like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And like, I, I just, I always loved when players would come up with really cool combinations of arts and realms, mm. you know, and come up with stuff that you never thought they'd come up with. Yeah. Again, like I was, I was furiously cobbling together as many things as I can. Like, I love naming magic because mm. it's so very fey. I've always loved naming, mm-hmm. but naming is arguably the most broken of arts. I mean, I don't think it's any more broken here than in the tabletop. So that's, that's good. true. Or less broken either. It's, it's very similar. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the the thing was, like, I was always more concerned with changeling arts and realms with making them fun and dramatic and cool than trying to balance them. Mm-hmm. So, like... Yeah, and I mean, yeah, as long as naming doesn't make someone into an, an PC into an NPC. I guess vice versa. No, can't do that. <laughs> when it comes to all the stuff to keep track of, so you were talking about the character sheets earlier, I guess this actually, this kind of gets us into the beginning of Chapter 4, where we're talking about systems and rules how often does it come up in a game that people are actually like whipping out their character sheet and looking at things and crossing things off and consulting like what percentage of a LARP is that slash do you think that should be? I mean, it depends on the LARP and the culture of the players and whatnot and different players will have different amounts, but people typically in my experience pull out their sheet after sort of an interaction scene, you know, like, Mm. Unless there's like something heavy going on with like a lot of arts and combat. Yeah, it's usually in the natural beat after an interaction, people will take their sheets out and quietly, you know, do whatever adjustments they need. Um, mm-hmm. But I had many nights where I never took my sheet out. But yeah, I had a good, I had a good memory for my traits. So yeah, like, that's mm-hmm. that's what I usually did too. Like I didn't like if you have the little ticket things maybe, but yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Now that I think about it, the more experienced players often only pull out their sheet when like a narrator asks to see it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I imagine with something like the glamour, I mean, the tickets I think is a very elegant solution because otherwise yeah. every time you spend it, you'd have to be yeah. crossing it off. 
Also, giving people a tangible thing helps make their powers feel more consequential sometimes mm-hmm. too. Or like, mm. I also, when I was running vampire, I would do that for gaining blood yep. and uh. hand, having a, like having the victim hand you several tickets, meaning that you drained this much blood from them or whatever yep. helped sell it because it was tangible. It was something they could put their hands on. There's a common thing among Tremere with a certain ritual or I can't remember what word for their things is where you'd end up with like little like red gummies oh yeah i know exactly the ritual you mean because it's in the tabletop as well yeah we wear the tremere with the blue ribbon around their neck too yeah yeah they didn't win the prize at the fair let's just leave it at that oh that reminds me early on we talk about enchanted people would be like with a green where did the green come from oh the green armband it makes total sense to be green but why does it make sense to be green it just it just seemed like the changeling color i don't know it just seemed like fey and green we thought about doing like rainbow, but like that's that could be complicated, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, but something finding something green was just easy. Yeah. Isn't that that is like something from folklore, though, isn't it? When you think of like the Green Knight and everything. Yeah, like the sash, and you know, with the mm-hmm. Green Knight, and like, but yeah, it just seemed it just seemed to be a color that went with the Fey. We also we eventually got to the point where we would use face paint that we would do for each kith. So that people could easily identify them. Mm. Sort of a minimum costume. Like if you wanted to do more than that, we wouldn't insist on it. But like we'd draw little blue horns on someone's forehead. So, oh, hey, troll. Or like little brown horns, satyr. Or, you know, like um, we would do little bits of makeup so that people could identify Kith at a glance. But that was that came later. I tried to put that in the book and they were like, uh, we don't want to enforce mm-hmm. uh, like a dress code. I'm like, it was just a suggestion. Like I, this would be my optional suggestion. I played in a boffer LARP that had something similar for the non-human, like the elves oh, yeah. all had to have pointy yeah. ears and every dwarf had to have a beard and yeah. halflings had hairy palms, no, hairy back of the hands. Uh, mm-hmm. but, oh dear. Yeah. There, a lot of, a lot of boffer games do that, especially elf ears or, you know, or things like that. Like, And then somebody has a big a real big full beard and you're like are you a dwarf <laughs> yeah that was that was the thing with like our changeling thing what we would do is we'd do that makeup at cons because a lot of people can't bring elaborate makeup yep. to a convention game or maybe they didn't realize they were going to larp until they decided that's how they wanted to spend saturday mm-hmm. night <laughs> so we'd help them get made up because the more made up they are the more they get into the larp putting on face paint and stuff you know or putting on makeup helps people just feel like yeah. they're in it you know? you know the red caps get like the rivets in their foreheads because want to be authentic. yep <laughs> yeah or we'd bring like a, a couple extra red bandanas you know or, or like you know so they could do a do-rag or yeah <laughs> you should probably just say for any listeners who haven't larped that the default method of resolving tests because this is in this chapter yeah. is to do rock paper scissors which i know we've kind of mentioned but just to say it flat out. Yeah, and fair escape means it's there's certain rules yeah. for when you can just say I've just left the scene instead of getting like super elaborate. How fast are you running or some? And and it also like was that. a safety thing so that people didn't feel like they had to bolt for the door in real mm-hmm. life, you know, like to to leave a scene or mm-hmm. to escape. Like, I do have a question <laughs> for static challenges, which are the ones against the narrator, where you're not actually up against another person you're just trying to like pick a lock or whatever so it mentions that the narrator chooses a difficulty appropriate to the task and i'm curious how that works uh you're going to keep on being curious because i don't think this book had a a list of range for numbers if i remember yeah Uh, i think 
I meant to, and I think I never got around to putting in like, uh, you know, easy difficulty is three, and you know, like, yeah, uh, you know, average difficulty is five, difficult, you know, hard is seven, you know, or in you know, impossible is fourteen, or like, I meant to, but I don't think we got it in this book. So yeah, I I would go through and I'd be like, okay, somebody had three. What would it be if somebody had like what was the max you can get up to for one category? Uh, depended on your seeming. Yeah, but like without without bonuses, like like a mortal level max. Oh, the mortal level max was ten, if I remember. Yeah, like ten was the max. But even if it's like fifteen and somebody has ten, you still have a one in three chance. So it's kind of yeah, you know, it's like twenty to thirty. It's like Herculean. Would not expect people to do it. Kind of. It's interesting how you are kind of like bidding your own strengths. I mean, you're you're. I was going to say something about, I can't believe there's only four health levels, but then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, but you also kind of have like social health levels and mental health Mm -hmm. levels because you're bidding traits. Yeah, they did. That's another thing they did change in the revised era of books, which changely didn't get just like in tabletop. Um, I think they did bring it to seven, didn't they? Yeah. For Melissa it revised. And we also tried, like, the other thing with the Shining Host Player's Guide was it tried to kind of update Changeling to be more with the revised Mind's Eye rules. Like, mm-hmm. I worked on Laws of the Night revised as well. And, like, and so after that, I'm like, okay, the next time I do a Changeling book, I'm going to make it more like what, you know, what's in here, what's in mm-hmm. here, because it was very first edition. I think we talked about this earlier. The section on combat, I just have, like, underlined in my notes, running combat must be a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> It can be. With group challenges, somebody has to be, it could be a narrator, it could be a player, somebody has to be the person that's tested against if there's a whole bunch of people. You can get in these weird situations where it's like multiple people all in the same thing, and you do have to say somebody is the one that you'll base winning, losing, or tying off of. Yeah. (laughs) And the, the other problem with Mind's Eye Theater Combat was, while it's supposed to be quick, it often wound up, we called it the popcorn ball because people would wander into yeah. a room and be like, wait, what's going on? Is there combat? I'm joining in. You know, like what, yeah. what we actually did was we'd have like, okay, if there was a, not two people fighting, but like a group combat, what I've yeah. seen worked well is you have like one narrator storyteller dealing with the combat. Another one's going and just blocking the room. It's like, no, you can't come in. Nope, you can't get involved yeah, we, until this combat's resolved. Or sometimes we we would yeah we would have a doorman like that, or we or we would yeah. say you can join in two rounds because if your character heard yeah. the noise, you could eventually join the fight. Yeah, that type of thing too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And somebody to to just play that aside so like nobody has to worry about it. And we would usually also be like anyone who doesn't want to fight, clear out, and you can go to the next room to role continue role playing. Like if you yeah. do not want to be caught up in this combat. Your characters can declare fair escape and leave. If nobody's targeting you, you can leave and continue role playing, you know, because the fight is only supposed to take a few seconds in game, but it will take several minutes. That's one of the reasons why it's important for when you're choosing your space. Yeah. I mean, if it's a really small and you're basically just tabletop, fine. But like if it's more than that, you want to have two well separated spaces, like indoors, probably different rooms, at least <laughs> for when you're choosing a venue. Mm. By comparison, the glamour systems are very straightforward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I have to say also, you, you had mentioned having players who wanted to play mortals and something I just really wanted to highlight here is 
the attention to the epiphanies, something I've probably railed against more times than I care to think about in this podcast, is I <laughs> see a trend of players doing, I won't say everything in their power, but a lot of what's in their power to avoid role-playing things like Reverie or Rapture mm. or even, even Ravaging, and just treating like gathering glamour as this afterthought. It's the same kind of thing I see in Vampire mm -hmm. where people are like, I go hunting. Yeah. It's like, well, but in a LARP situation, if you do have someone willing to play the mortal, I feel like that could be one of the most elegant experiences. So yeah. I was really happy to see how it was kind of outlined here. It's succinct. It's straightforward. But there's enough here for me to be like, wow, I could I could build entire mini games around this. Yeah, well, for me, like and also like Rhapsody was brand new when I was writing this, like mm. the whole Leon and Rhapsody thing was brand new so i kind of like threw it in there because it was fascinating and terrifying but like yeah. that's why my first character was a leonin I, I love the leonin she i really do and so like at that point only they were supposed to be able to do it so but in, again in larp i'm like ah, other people can do it too <laughs> it's yeah. like, i'm gonna just move away from tabletop and do this but like yeah, because when we did that for even in high school, in our high school game, people loved role playing their like reverie and rapture, you know, time and stuff. Like it was really fun, and it's very LARP friendly sort of experience. Mm -hmm. We also used to do the thing even if if you went hunting in vampire, in our vampire games, you had to do a scene where you describe yeah. who yeah. you attack, and like you couldn't just be like, "Well, it's downtime, and I come back with more blood points." You know, I go out and wow. I, you know, I sit on my phone for 15 minutes and I come back and I'm supercharged. You're like, no, we're, we're going to make you feel this. You really should. <laughs> this this might be a, a good segue into talking about the storytelling chapter. I did want to bring up one thing, though, on oaths. Just a little thing. Oh, yeah. The oaths, some of these oaths have a, just like in the table, there's visible physical things for breaking an oath. Yep. If you see a new player character come in who has like matching scars on their mm. face... Or hmm. like cross scars, or like one of them, she got like a uh, like colorful bird stuffed bird thing, and just had it like sewn onto the shoulder of her that was yep. sitting there quietly. And it's like through the true hearts. It's yeah. immediate like story things. People like the players and characters who know what's going on. He's like, oh, there's some interesting things here to find out what's going on with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like backstory really prevalent, but in a subtle way that you can't. I love the oath section because there's so much LARP potential mm -hmm. in it. Yeah, you just hear somebody just start saying this the text of an oath. That's all. Yeah, and like a lot of my players can still do the oath of clasped hands from memory. Yeah, you know, like they they know it because they swore it. You know, and they remember it. Yeah, or somebody shouts out in the middle of like like you're in yeah. a noble freehold. If they start saying where to stand, there will be one. Yeah, like you're like oh yeah, exactly. I, I found, I think every oath that was in any Changeling book at the time is in Shining Host, because I hunted yeah. them all down and put every one I could find in there. Even the Oath of the Undoing. Potent. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. I wanted to talk about the the politics part, which is why I brought up Chapter 5. Again, in terms of trends among gamers, my sense in general, just from my own anecdotal experience, is that players now seem much more invested in kind of like high fantasy dreaming escapades more than court politics. Well, court politics are mm -hmm. still there, but they're much less inflected with like, you know, autumn world banal yeah. concerns and more court politics about who's going to go on the great hunt into the dreaming. Like that, that's more of the vibe. 
but with LARP, yeah, again, in terms of things that seems just so perfectly suited for just having like court intrigue. Yeah, it, trips into the dreaming don't work great in LARP as a it's a downtime thing or it's a little side scene. Yeah, you exactly. Session. Yeah. You take a long time and you set up really well with cool lighting and, and yeah, sound but and it's stuff. not a regular session. Let's go along the the, the trods. No, that doesn't. Yeah. And like, and changeling can be intensely political. That's again, it's one of the things like, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't have to be, but it absolutely can be like, yeah, the game yeah. that my wife and I are running now, the noble houses, each of the houses has their own like sheet of objectives before they go to each game. They have to gather certain things They like, and they play politics. Like we, we set yeah. it up as kind of a mini game within the game, but like, and then some of the commoner organizations do the same thing. Like we have, some like commoner revolutionaries who have similar mm-hmm. things but like and having the whole influences thing that's in the mortal world there's autumn people there there's banality there yeah it, it brings it in a way that it won't be ignored because there's like other players will try to use influences against another changeling they don't like and suddenly that's bringing in the mortal world in a way that yeah yeah I think one of the most important sentences in this entire book is on page 201, where it says, only after you have finished with the mortal aspects of your setting should you want to consider the enchanted half of the equation. Because I think 90% of players go the other way. Yep. That was always my preference. like Because I, I, f- I always feel like you can't do the unreal until the real is established. Otherwise, there's no baseline. Mm. If I'm going to imagine the chimerical world, I need it to be a contrast to the regular one. When we did New Orleans, for example, in the in the game that you know this was that play tested this, whether they knew it or not, we had like chimerical New Orleans was almost like Venice, like the like the bayou had encompassed the city, so a lot of streets were flooded and cars became like like pole boats and like buses became paddle boats and stuff like that. But oh, too real. We had, well, yeah, unfortunately, but we sat down and we looked over. You know, I'm not from New Orleans. I've just always been fascinated by it, but like we tried to like find real world places and we looked stuff up and we, we went through like guidebooks on new Orleans and we found locations we wanted to make magical and like, Oh, in, in the dreaming, this is this, you know, like, and do stuff like that. And like, it helped it really, you know, sink in. And so that's always how I work. Um, Sorry. All the minds I theater LARPs I've been in are set where the game is and time moves like time. So that Mm. can also bring in a lot of the mortal stuff because for most things you're like, okay, if it's like a horrible tragedy, that's one thing. But like when we were in Toronto, like late nineties, there was this weird thing where they like made all these moose statues everywhere. (gasps) And this turned into chimerical moose everywhere that became a serious problem. And the count running the city had like called a moose hunt and stuff. (laughs) That's, incredible yeah so there's yeah. In this this whole advice there's one little like i have a slight disagreement and this is a thing you wrote 25 years 26 years ago whatever right oh yeah go it, for it. um for my preferences it emphasizes a bit too much the storyteller's story yeah i think it is important especially if you can get a health of a thriving group going mm-hmm. with enough people you do need it's not like you can just sit back and let the players do everything right but like it's about yeah. nurturing the player stories i think oh yeah and that that was definitely me as a high school kid writing a game and not having the experience i've had since then with collaborative storytelling but you're absolutely no you're absolutely right like most of the time like sometimes my wife and i would sit back and just watch our game run yeah because like the Mm. players would take the few story threads that we had and the rest of the night 
they'd run with them. And we'd just be there to adjudicate if they needed us to do rules. Because the last thing you want to do when the players are all engaged, and make sure all the players are engaged, right? So you got to watch out for the ones who are disengaged. You don't want to have to like, oh, these five people are running everything. The players and everyone else is bored watching them. I've been in those games and it sucks. That sucks too. But like what sucks is in you have like a, a vibrant, large LARP going and then the person, like the storyteller or whatever, tries to like, no, let's bring it back to my plot. That's not good. Yeah. And yeah. like jerks on the leash of the game and like pulls everybody back. And like yeah. my, my friend Andy has a great rule for LARPs. He calls it feeding fish. Mm-hmm. He's like, sprinkle up. If you want plot threads, sprinkle them like three times. Yeah. Because he's like, if you've ever fed fish in a fish tank, the most aggressive fish run right up. And if you only sprinkle food once, they'll get all the food. And there are players who will hang back. And if the only people who get plot are the people who run forward when plot is first presented, you're going to have those games where like five people are involved in everything. You can always sprinkle food over some of the other fish. Yeah. (laughs) Depends on the dynamics, but like, it's like, okay, somebody here wants to engage or not having trouble. Well, one of the like person who's chasing plot point things at that other character in a way, right? That all, yeah. And like, we also would do what we called the, the spoken wheel um, thing where we'd have one character we did this a lot for convention games where we would be playing with people we don't know is we'd plant an npc in each player character group to help if they needed motivation or if they needed to engage if they were getting bored or distracted our npc would help kind of nudge them along or come to us and be like hey my group's not doing anything can you throw some plot their way or like get them involved in what's going mm-hmm. on and they wouldn't take over they were we picked them because they were players who were good at lifting other people up Yep. And so they wouldn't hog the spotlight, but we had NPCs who would kind of help them stay in, engaged and stay motivated. So, yeah, it's I had I was guilty of that sin, though, when I was younger, where I'd be like, this is the mm-hmm. story outcome I wanted. And I would just try and like bend everything to make it work. And now mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I thought, I thought I'd mention in case someone's inspired, gets a copy of mine. The Shining goes goes to run a LARP. It's like and they listen to this. No, a, a little. Yeah. 17 yeah, year old Pete was 17 years old. Do not listen to everything he says. Yeah. <laughs> It's a good thing to point out, though, for for any game. I mean, because a lot of what you're saying applies to tabletop just as easily. Oh, yeah. So for any yeah. storyteller, yeah. I'm having to learn how to run sto- uh, tabletop. Though I run it too LARP sometimes, and it's like there has to be a little bit more help from the storyteller there. Yeah, I think. Yeah, and for LARP, it. I mean, some of this matters more for LARP. That's I think the difference. Yeah. and. Again, we were talking before about styles of LARP. It also depends on the size of the player base, the size of the location, yeah. like mm-hmm. you know how much over ongoing versus one yeah, off, ongoing yeah. versus one shot, yeah, or limited series. How much money you have? <laughs> also that, yeah. <laughs> like I remember when I was going looking on my college tour because I was writing the book around that time. I was touring colleges, and I went to Princeton because it's not far from where I grew up, and yeah. it was never going to happen. But my mom's like, "Well, let's go." let's go look at it. And I'm wandering around the campus and she's like, what do you think? I'm like, this would make an amazing LARP campus. And she's like, Peter, <laughs> it's also a school. You might've heard of it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but it would be so cool for LARP. And she's like, oh my God, why are we here? <laughs> so that you could have a LARP setting to play. And I look at, I still look at the world with the eye of a LARP designer a lot. I still mm-hmm. look at areas and I'll see like, Ooh, you could have a really fun LARP here. Like, <laughs> you know, like this is, where- but that's the kind of thing which, I imagine it makes you a better tabletop storyteller as well, and vice versa. Like, I say this as someone who has never 
done a white wolf larp but i feel better equipped to do one having run tabletop games yeah and i imagine the reverse yeah. is true oh, there's definitely overlap a lot of yeah, yeah, yeah yeah a lot of the advice in here i mean the storytelling chapter i think is probably the strongest part of the book overall the strongest chapter mm-hmm. even even with those 17 year old pete yeah that's the only know. like that that was, yeah. was the only thing it's like that that's <laughs> yeah, the one no. bit and then everything else is great, actually. Yeah, you can t- also tell I was a theater kid because I started talking about lighting and like staging and stuff a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's that's the kind of stuff which people don't think about that can kick their game up to yeah. this extra level that really engrosses people. Also, props for having the only gray eye glances reference I think I've ever seen in the wild. So. Oh man, I love that band. <laughs> yeah, I showed the band the book, and they were like, "That's wonderful." We have no idea what it is, but thank you for putting us in it. <laughs> I mean, I I look at it and I see all the awkward phrases and everything, and like you know, the like corny jokes and other stuff. I thought was great at seventeen, but I appreciate the company. But I think you were doing a good job fitting the rest of the white wolf stuff yeah i mean i wanted i I really wanted it to be special i really wanted it to be Hmm. you know i didn't want it to be reskinned vampire which is uh, honestly and i I mean no disrespect to the the werewolf people but sometimes werewolf felt like a reskin of vampire a little bit Hmm. Um, Hmm. the later werewolf books got better about it and part of it was early on every minds i theater was supposed to be very simple so they were very similar because they were trying for very Hmm. very very simple but I was like, I really want Changeling to feel different and, and not be the same experience like Vampire, but we were wearing Renfair clothes instead of pale makeup, you know, mm-hmm. like, or whatever. So I tried really hard for that as I was going for it. Yeah. Um, Few werewolf lurp stuff I'd been in. It was very much, um, uh, let's sit around and do story time. It was very strange. <laughs> werewolf is, a, is a not a very good fit for a lot of LARP. Yeah, much more action combat oriented shape shifting you know no but i mean is like literally just people talking in character doing stories (laughs) so like what i created a a and ran a two-shot boffer werewolf game yep and that was a hell of a good time because we're like werewolf is meant for fighting so let's play a larp style that is designed for fighting and we had costume changes to signify shape shifting, and like, mm-hmm. you know, we taught players a series of howls so that they could signal danger or triumph or oh, other things. And like, did you, that reminds me of a game we used to play in like school trips and stuff called Survival. We were all like <laughs> pretending to be different animals hunting each other. Anyway, <laughs> cool. I was like I said at the very beginning. I'm like I got really possessive of Changeling LARP. I got very protective of it. So like literally every rule in any live action rule book about changeling is, was written by me. Mm. Like I wrote the Dante section of laws of the hunt. I wrote the changeling section of time of judgment or laws of judgment. Like I was kind of a jerk about it at one point, like, like, because I wanted changeling also to be consistent. Cause I saw that some minds eye theater books were really inconsistent based on who wrote them. Mm-hmm. And like infamous Libre de Ghouls was written in a very different style than the rest of vampire. Mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know how this works. So like, I wanted Changeling to be consistent throughout. Yep. And also nobody else wanted to write Changeling at the time. So I was like, they just kept coming back to me for it. So like, yeah, I, I wanted to just try and make it like a coherent game experience. Well, it seems um, to have turned out pretty well. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we definitely want to look at the player's guide in the future. I, I have this idea at some point being like, how to LARP Changeling in 2023? Or 2024, or whatever year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have a big old note in my notes that that's 
basically that, but that's because there's a bunch of questions like, well, how do you take into account C20? How do you deal with, I mean, right. there's even little things like how much money things cost here that are not. <laughs> or just the fact that nowadays, frankly, at least in this country, like having a large group of people acting weird in public is really dangerous. Yeah. Sometimes. Mm. I mean, it always you was, know. but yeah. Yeah, but especially there, yeah. there, there was a some of, some of my friends had a story where campus police they were larping at their college campus were called because someone ran out of a room yelling he's got C four he's gonna blow us all up yeah like, great so LARP has become a lot more about safety and consent which is great as a culture like and including safety of players and like not freaking out people who aren't involved like I have very little tolerance for what what people like to call freaking the mundanes. Yeah. Where you go and deliberately try and weird normal people out. I'm like, that's, they didn't ask for that. You know, like it's one thing if people hassle you and you're still in costume and you didn't try to start anything, but like, Mm -hmm. and like, you know, then the weapon rule also, again, if we're playing in a private space, especially like inside someone's home, I don't usually care. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll check because like one of my players had a thing about knives because they've been attacked by someone with a knife before. So I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, and we're also safe. talking about like yeah. plastic swords versus yeah. Or, yeah, or like we'll bring our like boffer swords, you know, yeah. for changeling because you know changeling uses a lot of fantasy medieval weapons. So yeah, you know, we'll bring our boffer blades or whatever. And like, yeah, like storytelling chapters have always been my favorite thing to write. So. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what I do now for Onyx Path is they'll hire me for a book and I'm like, I'm writing the storytelling chapter, aren't I? And they're like, yep. I'm like, cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what I like to do. Uh, it's the issue in me. Um, and considering that this came out before the storyteller's guide for Changeling, I mean, this was probably the best advice. <laughs> yep. And I don't know how much of it got carried over into that. Uh, yeah. I mean, there we were feeding a lot off of each other back back in that day with mm. white wolf and like i was a freelancer obviously i wasn't at the office in atlanta or in stone mountain but like they were really good about putting people in touch with each other so you know it was still a lot more primitive we didn't have anything like slack or anything mm-hmm. that we could use but like right. um, they would try and coordinate things as best we could so do we have any questions we still need to ask or are those interspersed I think the only question uh, Charles Siegel asks, why did Changeling's book get a cool name like The Shining Host when all of the others are Laws of the Night, Laws of the Wild, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, except for Wraith, which just got Oblivion? It was just before Laws of the Night Revised made that an ironclad rule. Mm. Um, they thought this would sound really cool and be very Changeling. Yep. And then by the time the Player's Guide came out, they didn't want to give the Player's Guide a different name. Mm-hmm. so right. it stayed with it but it, it does lead to confusion when talking about nobles the shining host <laughs> it does yeah like i will say the title is not my my choice that was yeah. not my my prerogative but, ah. uh, but they yeah that was just it just happened to be before that became like our default naming convention yeah um, so it'd be laws of the dreaming would have been the other <laughs> yeah and actually we talked about doing a laws of the dreaming at one point and kind of combining the two books Mm-hmm. But it never it never got off the ground. So someone on the Discord pointed out that Laws of the Dreaming sounds like a courtroom game, and <laughs> everyone was like, "That's fine. <laughs> we will happily do Changeling in court." <laughs> so when we did C twenty, I tried to convince Rich to let us do Laws of the Dreaming, and he's like, "We don't really do the Mind's Eye Theater anymore. That's by Night Studios now." Yeah. Like, oh, dude, curses. Yeah. Um, Jason Lee did it, and uh, um, or Jason Andrews, sorry, and. I think I'm listed on that as a consultant because they had me mm-hmm. come and like read stuff and look stuff over. It's a very different take on change. Yeah. Like 
you know, that's what he wanted to do. That's what Jason mm-hmm. set out. And he's like, I want to do something really different. I want to kind of shake things up and move the meta plot. And I'm like, Hey, cool. You know, like it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but if that, if you want to do a very different take, you know, here, yeah, I think that. it has seasonal courts. And, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of different elements in there. Oh, we've all done seasonal courts. By now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we blend lost and dreaming sometimes. And we also have two comments just for, edification. Sure. Uh, Luis Armander says, my first Changeling book was Shining Host. I was poor and this was cheaper than the Changeling one, <laughs> the Changeling court. It made me fall in love and I started saving for more Changeling books. Mm-hmm. And then Count Clockwise says, the merits and flaws seem a lot more interesting in this book than the ones in C20, especially the Kith emulation ones. Endless <laughs> frustration is a particular favorite <laughs> given how versatile and fun it is. <laughs> yeah, like I said, the 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 Kith emulation merits were house ruled into so many tabletop games I've heard of in the years yeah. since then. People love them. And like, I mean, in C20, we had a very different philosophy going into mm-hmm. what we want to do. That's um, as you can, as I imagine a whole other podcast and a half for you guys. So or yep. episode season three. Well, it's great. We could, we could just ask you your ideas without any like commitment to write anything. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we will get to it yeah we are we are getting there yep. slowly but surely yeah i mean that was a weird thing because that was such a dream team of changeling people who came together for c20 i mm-hmm. i had so much fun on that book um i was so starstruck because i had never worked with ian before and i was just like mm-hmm. a fanboy the entire time <laughs> and he was like i love your work i'm like <gasps> senpai noticed me yeah <laughs> <So>. <laughs> And the and the thing was like people were like I don't know how it's going to do I'm like it's gonna it's gonna be a, a incredibly successful Kickstarter, Changeling has yeah. a passionate fan base. Yeah. Um. And I was like because uh, like I said for years I've been telling people it is the second most popular White Wolf LARP by far. Like mm-hmm. Werewolf is a distant third, and like beyond that it's you know random little mage games or or whatever. But there's like Changeling the people who play Changeling love it and they will come out for it and like. My wife cried uh, because she got to work on Kithbook Boggan. And oh. she is a Boggan. Uh, we're a Boggan and an Ishu couple. And uh, and she's like, we never got our Kithbook. I'm like, well, Boggans just let everyone else go on ahead of them. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh, no, it's fine. You go ahead. Oh, no, it's fine. You go ahead. And she's like, it's our time, damn it. <laughs> it's finally <laughs> our time. And then I remember somebody was on the Kickstarter was like, when are we going to get Kithbook She? I'm like, you have like five books. Shut up. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you have books of houses, Stop lost lining. houses, and nobles, the shining house. Shut up. <laughs> Arguably the shadow court too. We're saying. Well, yeah. A lot, uh, yeah. A lot there too. Yeah, yeah. Like it was a meeting of like some of the people who had originally been in, involved in creating Changeling in the first place. And because like Nikki and Jackie were involved in C20 and Ian was there. And then there were some of us who were involved later on. And then there were some people who had never played Changeling who were like brought in for fresh eyes. And like the C20 process was one of the most, some of the most fun I've had in like 30 years of writing game books. Like it was, it was so much fun. Well, hopefully we can invite you back to discuss this. Oh, I'd be glad yeah. to. I've had a great time. So do you have so, anything else that you're, you're working on or you'd want to shout out or have out? Or anything oh, like that. Um, I mean, speaking of speaking of Ian, uh, I mean, lately I've been working on uh, for Ian on he works uh, he manages the Expanse RPG line for Green Ronin. 
And uh, if you're a fan of the books and and or the TV show, although the game is based on the books, but Mm -hmm. if you're a fan of the Expanse series, Ian is putting out some amazing books and he's asked me to work on a couple and I've had a blast. So that's what I've been doing more lately. So he's a gentleman and a scholar and one of the best developers (laughs) I've ever worked for. Um, I'm not just saying that because I want to work on more Expanse books. Hi, Ian. But... Well, do you have any uh, any websites or social media that you would want us to shout out to direct uh, people to if they want really, to? Really, unfortunately, my website has been dormant uh, since before COVID. I just haven't mm-hmm. been able to update it lately. It's just my peterwoodworth.com. But a link will nevertheless be included in the show notes for this episode. Thank you. For fair warning that it hasn't been updated in quite some time. I keep meaning to do it and then not. So, mm-hmm. thank you for thank you for being again. It's it's an honor. It's great. <laughs> oh, the, the honor is all mine. I, bring me back anytime. I'd love to talk more Changeling. Sounds you know, great. Kid issue yeah. or Shining Host Player's Guide or Book of Lost Houses or whatever. Um, and uh, you can find us, podcast at changelingthepodcast.com for email. You can f- go to our website, changelingthepodcast.com. You can join our Discord, discord.me slash ctp. You can send us a toot uh, at changeling pod at dice.camp you can follow our facebook changeling the podcast and that's it right i think that's everything yeah <laughs> links again will be provided in the show notes and uh once again i'm josh the most recent court order still declares that i am puka and once again i'm calling fair escape <laughs> fair escape fair escape pathways i'm out <laughs> Before participating in a LARP, we encourage listeners to practice a check-in and follow these basic tips for well-being. Make sure you've had adequate food and hydration, bring sunscreen if you'll be gaming outdoors, and keep your towel always at the ready. Safety pins are handy for emergency costume repair, and that glowing orb buried in the woods behind the library is handy for emergency reality repair. And for changeling LARPs in particular, if you think it might be a chimera, don't squeeze it without permission, for it may be a human, animal, or ill-tempered carnivorous plant. These tips and other ancillary fae-flavored content is made possible by our magnanimous patrons, Derek, Dorchadas, Jason Vines, Oreo, Roscaboos, Sandshaker, Seja, and Terry Robinson. You can join this list of all-stars by signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com changelingthepodcast to receive a shout-out at the end of each episode. We also greatly appreciate reviews of our podcast on the listening platform of your choice to help spread the word about our show. Thanks very much as always for listening, and until next time, keep on dreaming. Here come the outtakes. So uh, this maybe is a, a point at which I'll mention Pete and I have met before. I'm certain that Pete doesn't remember. <laughs> so, <laughs> but many years ago in the, the hoary yesteryear, at the local mall, there was a, a certain bookstore where I had a family member who was working and you know was over there. And went to, I, I was probably 14 at the time. And I think... I probably had the second edition core book and that was about it. And said family member was like, oh yeah, this is Pete, you know? And we probably had about 60 seconds of interaction because I think you had just got done work and were, you know, going somewhere. But I was told Pete writes for Changeling. And it was (laughs) like, if if there were stars in my eyes, like pouring out, that was why. And I believe at the time there was still um, the shining host was still on the bookshelf with like a very proud little note underneath our own Pete Woodworth wrote this book. And I believe that's when I bought my copy.
I, I believe it or not, I remember that conversation because I have not met that many fans in my time. Um, In terms of, well, no, and just in terms of people I remember talking to about it. And I remember, I remember being at work that night and I remember talking Changeling. So more memorable than you think. (laughs) I'm glad the Miss haven't totally claimed that one then. (laughs) And that bookstore, which I then worked at, is now long gone, which is a very disappointing uh, turn of events. But moving forward. (laughs) 